going on, Neil? How are you? Not much. I changed my shirt because yep. we're recording all these in one day. Yeah, yeah. Not the pink polo every week. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. So, you know, things are things are looking up now. Right on. <clears throat> but how was your week? Week's good. Yeah. yeah. I've got a couple things i got to sort out with the development, as you know, and I've kind of alluded to on here, trying to do a big project, 60 units as part of, a, you know, a couple phases that would each have about 60 units. So this is the first phase, which I need a lot of cash for. Um, Makes sense. Especially liquid cash. Yep. And at the same time, I've had a couple opportunities come across my desk. One, that's another land play. Uh, another that is a small scale multi and I want to buy them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's only so much money to go around. And I've always said to everyone, like, oh, just do both. Figure it away. Do both. And I'm maybe at the point now, like, no, no. I should maybe prioritize, <laughs> like, what is the bigger picture thing here? So I'm struggling with that a little bit um, and, you know, getting in arguments on social media. But what about you? <laughs> getting in arguments <laughs> on social media. Oh, man. To what, to what you said, the do both thing, I think, too, it's, it makes sense to a certain point. And then you start to get to a point where doing both might not always make sense. Yeah, and it depends on what the two things are. Uh, exactly. Like, is it, too, right? But, so. uh, yeah, how are things to do? Not bad. Nothing too exciting. I'm working on closing three six units that I put under contract a while back. Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, closing's coming up in about four weeks, and I'm still a little bit wishy-washy on the financing. Uh, (laughs) Shoot first, ask questions later, Neil. Yeah, exactly. Still sorted out, man. So just, yeah, getting that sorted out. And then the standard stuff, you know, leaks. Like we had a little bit of rain, not a ton, but a few leaks. And I think it's because I got all my parking lots redone. Mm -hmm. And so as great as it is to go from like these hacked up parking lots, those actually serve as drainage. Totally. Never thought about that. Yeah, that potholes, crush gravel. <laughs> the, the crushed gravel yeah, and the potholes yeah. is actually what's keeping the water out of my basements. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, man, if they if they if they sloped the asphalt a little bit and tamped it down, like it's it's gonna run towards the property. And, yeah. yeah. In this particular scenario, it happened twice because they own the building side by side, and we paved the driveways in between the buildings. So it's concrete, mm-hmm. asphalt, concrete. Like there's mm-hmm. just it's literally flat roofs. Flat roofs, and they pour into it. So and, you have gutters, or you have an inside. Stack drain. So I have got So the way it was is the flat roofs were originally flat, and then I got new roofs put on. What they did is Slight they cut pitch. foam with a light pitch on it, right? Yeah. And then they put the new flat roof over it, and then we put gutters on both the front okay. and back. Okay, that's good. Of course, as the rain's gone on there, it also likes to come off the sides. Uh, right. So now what's happening is it's coming off the sides of the building and landing on the driveways, which are now repaved. Before they were yeah. like literally non-existent, so it just went in the ground. Now they're freshly paved, so all the water stays there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is graded, but the problem is a lot of it runs along the side of the building as it goes down. Is this related to the other episode where, like, someone's having a slight moisture issue in the basement? One of these relates to a slight moisture issue in the basement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, turns out that tenant was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I actually, I had it cut out, though. I had it all yeah, cut yeah. out and a trench put in. But I'm going to show you this picture. I have to pull this picture up right now because this is this is what they put in. I, I They're redoing it right now, but take a look at this. These are like the nuances you discover with these <clears throat> mid-century buildings. It's not even straight. What am I looking at here? This is the trench that they put in along the side of the building. So they cut out a foot and a half <laughs> out, and then all they did is they put the asphalt, and then they tamped it down the middle like an extra time to get the extra trench in there. But look mm. how fudged that is. It looks a little janky. A little janky? Yeah. I'm going to send this to Man, Tanner and to we're going to have to flash this asphalt up. out and redo like, oh, it sucks. I don't even want to. Yep. That asphalt's also up way too high, but like this yes. is what happens over the years, right? As the ground builds up, you know, you're not, yeah, it's hard for people to see without seeing the pictures, but you like yeah. to have your, as much of your foundation wall exposed as possible. And then over years, as people build up the soil and put more and more and more, 
your ground level creeps up to the end of your foundation wall because everything above your foundation wall is wood framing. Yeah. Right. Like so now when you pave over it, you're you're right there up against the wood framing almost. So in a perfect world, they would have dug it down a bit deeper, and but it's hard to. Yeah, do that. Asphalt's always... expensive too, man. I looked at my bill for my asphalt. I paid just the front yeah. of my place on windmill. Yeah. Uh, and it was $18,000. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's expensive. It adds uh, up quick. It's like $4 a square foot and you don't realize how many square feet are in a parking lot. Like It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Looks uh, good though. Look at the... But then I also got them to do some curbs for me. Oh, yeah. Around the window That'll walls. do it. Look at that. Are you kidding me right now? That also like... That could collect water as well. That is, it's getting pulled off as we speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ugh. I just sound like tanner. such headaches. You can try and throw them up. That's the fun and games of it. It always, yeah. once it's all done, everyone's like, wow. You know those units that like I took over in Toronto that were pretty rough? Yes. I had, uh, I only had them a couple months with some partners. And what did the guy say? Like the worst bed bugs he'd ever seen or the worst? <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. Um, but yeah, perks of the job, perks of the job. It's all fun. Yeah, just a quick uh, recap of some new stuff because yeah. we got so much to cover today. We're going to talk about provincial politics. Uh, we're going to talk about the federal platforms as they relate possibly to housing. Um, but a couple things in the news that I thought were really interesting. Um, Acorn was protesting the um, quote-unquote affordable units that were being uh, proposed as part of the Joseph Howe project. Yep. Uh, I think it's bank properties doing that. Yep. Um, and they touched on something that we alluded to before, which those units have been approved through CMH3, CMHC and deemed affordable based on 30% of household income and, and bettering that number. And they're coming in between fourteen dollars and $1,800. And Acorn is down there protesting that those do not constitute affordable housing, to which I would probably agree. And we talked very much about that. Um, that measure of affordability uh, will surprise some people. Um, that said, it does alleviate some, like there's affordability at every threshold. There's affordability needs under a thousand. There's a th- affordability needs under 1600. There's affordability needs under 2000. So uh, I understand uh, bringing attention to that because people don't quite know what this means and they're very surprised. Yeah, I, I'm as, exactly. It's again, what we talked about before where I don't think affordability has been formally defined. Yeah, and then it comes back to the fact of it's affordable when you think of it being brand new inventory on Joe Howe and that, eighteen months away, yes. right? Because it's not built now. So what what are rents going to be then? Yeah, um, and the other comparable units around there that are brand new might be around two thousand. Yeah, so it is technically more affordable than them, but but um, as an actual affordability perspective for the average person trying to get in, and for the people that they are trying to target affordable units to. It doesn't directly help them. No. And I think it's important to keep the attention on that. But also part of that conversation should be understanding that there is affordability at different price points. There's issues for exactly. people at, at, at different levels. So, uh, But I thought it was interesting because we literally talked about precisely this thing the other day. A hundred percent. And this is one of the bigger projects that's been approved in HRM. I think if not the biggest that's gotten Probably this affordability, the affordability yeah. program. Yeah. Question for you. I don't actually know the answer to it. How do they select who gets those units? I don't or is know. It just I, proof I think of that you just have are... to keep the rents there. And, and yeah. this is going to be the other thing too. Like some people are going to, they're going to still pick the best tenants yeah, exactly. by their definition for those units. And there'll be people possibly in those units making more money than someone living in another unit in that same That's building paying $500 more. Right. Yeah. So this is why some of these things just fundamentally do not work. What does work though is 
at increasing supply. Um, but that's something we really touched on. And it tied into the fact that the municipal government also passed a bunch of projects that we're going to talk about another date. Yep. One of which is building, I think it's 43 units at 300 grand a door. Yep. Um, and some people were losing their mind online. One comment, and this is why I was talking about me arguing with people on social media. This guy <laughs> was like, oh, the government's embezzling all the money. Those units only cost a hundred grand to build. <laughs> Any like they're developers in the city building those for a hundred grand. And I'm like, I think I just wrote, this is not correct. Uh, and then it kind of snowballed from there. We touched on this before, like 225 grand. It's the cheapest you're building it for, man. Wood if, frame, if you wood do frame, wood frame, basic garbage. apartment, above grade parking. Uh, and I think these units were actually townhouses, which realistically, realistically way bigger. $150 a square foot minimum, 1,800 square feet. That's 270,000 plus cost of land. Like yeah. 300 grand per door. They're going over budget. Oh, they're, they're, also, <laughs> they're going to go over that budget. Yeah. But 300 grand per door is what it costs to build a unit. But as people rightly noted on there, how is that going to be necessarily affordable, right? Because everyone has their own definition. Yeah. Some people may say if those rented $1,500 and they're a townhouse, that is affordable. Big time. Other people are going to say, absolutely, that's not. Um, my takeaway from it and what I was trying to hope people would realize on there, it's a start. Yeah. It's a start. And this was in the works for a long time, but now it's been rushed and there's a few other projects being rushed. It looked like there's actually quite a few projects. And that's why I guess we'll have to do an episode on it because yeah, there is totally. quite a few projects that they brought up that I didn't even realize were in the works. That they're like, all right, we're pushing these through. We're like, boom, 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 boom. So is that one you're talking about down by like Shannon Parkway or North End Dartmouth? It's not by Shannon Park. It's it's further up the hill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, North End Dartmouth. North End, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I was trying to encourage them because I remember this going through. It's like, if you're doing these townhouses, put two in each. Stack two upstairs, two, like because now that forty three becomes eighty six and all these things. And someone else had and a genius all accessible comment on the main floor. Yeah, someone else had this great comment, which I totally agree with. It's like, okay, you got thirteen million dollars to do these. Why instead of like paying the thirteen million dollars for them, you don't take that thirteen million dollars, leverage. leverage it, get a mortgage, turn that thirteen million dollars into sixty whatever million of loans, and build a whole bunch more. Build one hundred twenty um, of them. Either way, it's a start, um, and there's more projects. So I think that's good. That's going to feed some of that middle class range of affordability, which is a thing, yep. you know, um, still there needs to be planned for uh, the most at risk at, at the lower end and all these things. But I, I think that's really interesting. Uh, and then there was a little story that we won't really touch on too much, but um, a co-op, it, it's come to light that there were these um, co-op affordable housing units that were recently unloaded around Spryfield um, for something like $40,000 a unit for side-by-sides. Um and yes. no one kind of noticed it at the time. A lot of the units Slipped had been boarded up yeah. or had been vacated. And this nonprofit housing group of some type, I can't remember the name. Um, they were hard on hard times. They weren't keeping the places occupied or keeping them up. And they were sold off to, you know, a private group of developers uh, who have since flipped them effectively. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, they still have nine units left, but of the ones they've sold, they've already broken even on their purchase price. Yeah. Uh, so now the next nine are going to be all profit. And there are people looking at that with a bit more scrutiny now because of everything that's going on and because of the fact that since they accepted Housing Nova Scotia money, to sell them, they had to get government approval. So yeah. the provincial government approved them selling these units units at grossly below market. And I understand they were in terrible condition, but now people are looking, well, would that have been a good opportunity for maybe the provincial government to buy that housing stock back or sell it to someone else in that same field? And hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's interesting now to see it in, in the context just a few, however many months later, a year later. I mean, I think that feeds into kind of how political things work in general, is if people aren't screaming it in their face... 
they don't know about it. They yeah. don't. They don't really know totally. about it, and they don't really pay attention. So it's like the piece of paper comes across the table. They talk about it in a meeting for half an hour, and at the time, it's like, all right, well, they're not making any money. Half of them are boarded up. And, I mean, on, yeah. on, on one front, by bringing them to market, it did technically add the inventory back to the market. Because privately, they're not going to sit empty. No, true. And and they were sold off to people who are now renting them, presumably, right? So it, it is, there is, that's there, true. There is um, some, okay. But again, obviously, yeah. the, the money was made privately, not in-house. And it didn't necessarily benefit the people that would, you'd want it to benefit and what the target was originally. Yeah, it's it's definitely not serving the same demographic, which raises the question, you know, where did those people go from all, all those units? Um, so this kind of segues nicely because we're talking about politics, um, you know, Provincial election just happened. Yep. Um, so we can talk about what the ramifications that might have for housing. And then the federal election is coming up. So we've done a little bit. We've actually done a little research this week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Before we hop into that, I want to okay. bring one other thing up. Yep. And this might be an interesting one. But like, so we had our entire blowout with everything regarding the, the tents, the yep. makeshift structures, and there was the fines handed out. It's reestablished. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The tents and yeah. the structures are back. Um, not surprisingly, yeah. In like with like proper setups now, like I feel like they're more set up, more established. Um, and I was just, oh, that was a surprise. If you asked me what happened this week, that was a bit of a surprise. I think it was a couple of days ago. I was driving down the street and I drove past the park, and it was the entire park was full, and it had the same wooden structures, mm. mixtures of tents. Um, and he, I would say like, what I say even more established is like they had like full on things like set up off the trees. Um, and it's actually become kind of a, a stopping point where people are pulling up, stopping and donating things mm-hmm. and then driving off. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just, I'm, I'm surprised how quickly it came back. And I'm not, I understand that the problem has not been addressed. Yeah. Um, but I'm just like, are we just leading into another? Well, it's, it's an interesting takeaway. It's like, so, uh, voices were heard and, and this is what's going on. And, and, you know, it, it's. Is this the council listening to the majority, or is this council um, acquiescing to a vocal minority? Like, I don't know, but I, I think it's it's been enough of a conversation now that people are like, okay, that wasn't the solution. Getting, you know, tearing down the tents, clearly that accomplished nothing. Yeah. Uh, so that was not the solution, whether, you know, people are okay with them being there longer term or not. Um, and it has expedited some of these things that I think were coming down, like they were already on the docket um, to be before council, but it's moved along quickly. And I know they're, they've already pledged a bunch of funding for improved temporary situations. Temporary shelter situations. But again, I think that's a whole episode. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's really interesting because this is how protests and democracy and political movement is kind of supposed to work. Yeah. but that's still not going to be a long-term solution. No, 100%. Because there's still a lot of people not okay with them being there. No. Um, and I think it's just not a, a solution that we'd want to have as a society. But, yeah, um, yeah no, that's, that's no, interesting I, too. That was sure. it. I was just, when I was driving down the street, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, like, what was that? Like, what did we accomplish there? Then I guess a whole it, lot of uh, nothing. Like, right, like in, in hindsight, that was a, a waste of time. And But it did spark, hopefully, some change. So that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, all right, Anyways. so let's start provincially because... Okay. Um, Tim Houston, new premier of Nova Scotia. Yep. Obviously the focus is squarely, well, you know, very much so on housing. He ran on a mandate most focused on healthcare, healthcare but he, he's going to have thing. to pivot a lot of attention to housing. Yep. Um, so I wanted to cover a couple of things that I thought were 
interesting about, you know, what he's said in the past about his housing plan. Um, oh, I know. Well, look. Picture just boom. <laughs> Tanner throwing it up there. Um, hey, Tim. So f- the first thing he said from the jump, uh, it's, it's well publicized. He's not in favor of uh, rent control. Yeah. Um, he is pledging to follow the housing commission that was put together, their recommendations. I think it's like 39 recommendations, uh, none of which was rent control, but um, mainly his thing, and, you know, this is something we talked about a lot, is more stock. Yeah. Right? Inventory. Yeah. I think that's kind of how he's going to do that. I haven't really heard much on that. Have you? No, I haven't heard his direct incentives on how he's going to do that. I guess, like, he started off by saying things that aren't going to help it, which, again, like you said, was rent control. Uh, also, the Housing Commission is an independent body that's not... Yeah, it's not partisan. Exactly. Yep. It's not partisan. It's not related to these. It's not like they work for him and then they gave him what he wanted to hear. And, man, I'll be the first to admit at first, I was like, oh, who's on this thing? And I looked, I'm like, oh, man, that's some pretty damn impressive people. <laughs> like, yep. so, you know, I, I think those recommendations are, are valid and, and thoughtful. Yeah. I don't think he's put out a ton yet specifically on what he intends to do to to address it. I think right now that the one thing I saw, and I should have picked it up earlier, uh, and we'll talk about like we said later, but it was regarding like the homelessness. There was a, there was a, something he made in an article regarding creating more beds and more shelter space. Yeah. That was the first thing that I saw that he really addressed. Um, but yeah, then I like I said, I watched a few interviews where they asked him about kind of rent control and how he could possibly remove it prior to fixing the solution. And basically it boils back to the same adage of if we maintain that, that's not going to allow us to gain more inventory, which is what the problem is. Mm -hmm. So we need to remove it, even though I understand the situation's not fixed yet. Mm -hmm. You need to maintain kind of the economic spur that's taking place to actually build the inventory. Yeah. I think that um, all of these things that we're, we're talking about still will not necessarily impact the most at-risk individuals. So um, that includes rent control. So it'll be interesting to see what he does to actually house people who are currently unhoused um, and some of the things that come along with it. Because hopefully with the the health spending, a big chunk of that is going to go towards mental health. And I think there is a correlation causation going on there between – mental health and homelessness often. Not always by any stretch, but but often there is yep. um, um, a connection there. So hopefully some of that healthcare spending will trickle down to improve that. Um, one thing he is talking about um, to help improve or, or create stock is tendering um, Nova Scotia surplus lands, like provincial lands, yep. specifically for affordable housing. And this is inter- interesting because it comes on the heels of, you know, um, the government signing off on the sale of those uh, co-op units um, and this idea of, you know, what government's going to do with their surplus land and, and how they're going to sell that off. I mean, anytime surplus land gets sold, it's highly, highly contentious. Yes. Um, so... This will be really interesting to see and what lands are available. I Yeah. So I was going to say, I don't know how far along the lands are. I spoke to someone today about that and they said the one, I guess, I don't want to say funny, but the one kind of hiccup with that entire situation is for them to sell the piece of land, the amount of people that it goes through before it can even actually oh, yeah. get to an auction. Yeah. Like it has to, okay, so we've decided to, so now fisheries and whatever other government agencies get the first bid. Um, and then oh, actually, really? oh, okay. the next set of bidders would be like uh, First Nations and, and things like that. Uh, and then the next set of bidders after that was, do you remember Tanner? I thought you meant like who would have to approve the sale, but you're talking like in-house first right of refusal. In-house, there's a first right of refusal list of like 10 different parties that it has to slide all the way through. And then it would become the point that they'll actually, um, public tender tender it. So 
It's yeah, and I mean yeah. I think again, I think it's good. I think that they're finally like, they're making the moves and that they're, they're not just sitting on the land. Mm-hmm. But I think realistically, the timeline for it to get down and then what ends up happening with it that'll be an interesting one to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, I'm still a big advocate of even if a developer buys it to put up some fancy units, it's still a good thing because realistically, it's going to take the pressure off the the lower yeah. end. I mean, I think of the St. Pat's Alexandra school sale down um, below Gottingen and how. Yeah. You know, that was, it ended up in lawsuits and years and years and years. So I think that's made the government, because I I think that would have been, I mean, it's a school, so that would have been a provincial sale, I would think. Um, I think it's made them a little bit wary about how they proceed with getting rid of some of this property. I mean, there's a vacant school in my neighborhood sitting on probably, I don't know, two or three acres of land in downtown Dartmouth. Yeah. Like, well, if we're all talking about we need housing, like, why isn't, why aren't they just pumping out a big tower right here and they're just afraid to, to sell it I think because of everything that's gone on in the past you know everyone has their say of like this should be this this should be that yeah. um, but I think housing is priority also looking at taking some crown land um, and remediating it and putting that up for tender as well um, the question with all of this is going to be when they sell it to the private sector and they meet these CMHC what are the requirements what are the requirements for affordability yeah. but I agree with you um, it's going to be new stock, and that is going to alleviate some of the pressure. We need like 30,000 units today yeah. to start alleviating some of this pressure. So he's on board for stock. Yeah, he's yeah. on board for stock. I don't think there's been a lot. I think he's also probably now kind of looking federally to be like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Because those, those two parties have very different, not very different, but somewhat different ideas on how to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, the thing, with, like I said, the big thing with the land, I think it's just, it's so long term. It's like trying to turn things in, make things happen quick. Mm. And I haven't heard much from him on that, but pushing on on the permitting and the zoning and the, like, they need to expedite that stuff. Like that's. Yeah. And a lot of that happens at a municipal level. So here we get this whole back and forth of like, well, what are they doing? Well, what are we doing? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully, I, I, I still am worried that until the provincial government becomes a landlord themselves. Yeah. That, um, you know. The issue will remain. Yeah, I don't think you can put this entirely on the private sector. I don't think it's gonna it's gonna work. But no. um, another thing that's doing that's not directly related to real estate, but I know you and I found it interesting. Um, the provincial uh, conservatives here in Nova Scotia now are proposing uh, for there to be no personal income tax for people under thirty working in trades for their first fifty thousand dollars. So that's say if you're twenty eight years old, you're working as a tradesperson, the first fifty k you make. No, t- no income tax on it, which I think is pretty awesome. It's encouraging people to get into trades. Um, I-, I think that could also have some benefits to lower the cost of construction because right now one of the challenges and and, and speed up, you know, even if it doesn't lower the cost of construction, speed Expedite up how we timelines. can build these places. Yep. I mean, if I had a, a dollar for, you know, everyone says, you know, a framer, you know, any framers, yeah. I need a framer. I can't build these houses quick enough. Yeah. I mean, I-, I found that really interesting and a nuanced kind of uh, approach to take to something like that. That was very clever. I think because I think trades, well, for I think for, honestly, for my generation and like your generation growing up, trades were not necessarily looked at as like the thing, right? No. Everyone was pushed to no. go to university, go to university, go to university. Everybody went to university, and now there's a lot of people that did did the university degree. They're kind of sitting there like, "What the hell am I doing?" Because there's not yeah. as many positions as they have now. Jo- like more people are asking me for framers than they are for marketing or your yeah, commerce people. Yeah. Like they they just are <laughs> right. Like. Um, that's yeah. that's what what it is, and so these people end up sitting in these jobs. They end up taking jobs they don't like, don't love, uh, and or are not making very much money at all. Um, whereas I'm finding a lot of my colleagues now are saying like, "Hey, I wish I had done this." Mm-hmm. And at the time, totally. it just it really yeah. wasn't incentivized or kind of brought to anyone's attention. So it was the same thing, almost like the housing. It was like a kind of a 
slowly increasing problem. And then it got to the point where now we have no trades. Yeah. Very few young people are in there. And it becomes, yeah, we're getting a result of mixture of things of like gouging and pricing, uh, super slow timelines. Yeah. Um, and, and then that boils back to, to the same thing. And not only would having the more trades be beneficial for building the housing, like you said, it would, it would get a ton of young people doing well. So it would help to spur what they have. They could actually buy a house sooner and totally have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's like, it's its own feeding it, thing. The ripple effects major. And the trades industry kind of has a reputation for doing like cash on the side and all this. Yeah. Um, that doesn't help young people get a mortgage. No. Right. So if, if they can actually claim it now, cause they don't have to worry about losing exactly, it all. Exactly. So I yeah. think that's going to allow people working in trades to get homes quicker and to also hopefully build homes and, and get more people into the trades. I think that's, uh, we may not see the ramifications of that for a long time, but I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things I kind of liked about their, their platform. Um, in addition to some other cool things about like they're going to cover IVF treatments now, which like is a total digression, but I think that's yeah. super cool as someone who uh, went through that process. Not all good news. I think some mistakes are made. <laughs> We're not going to get into this because this is a can of worms. So 18, yeah. he appointed 18 ministers, including seven women, which is super cool. Um, John Lohr, who is from Kentville, is going to be the minister kind of overseeing housing. Um, you know, obviously he probably... Uh, is thinking, what did he sign up for here? He's going to have a lot on his plate. Yeah. Interesting choice that he's from Kentville. Like, there's a lot going on in Kentville. There is, Kentville's yeah. kind of one of this, these booming towns, secondary markets for rentals. Um, so he'll have a, a, a big workload. And then for like communities, culture, African Nova Scotia affairs, um, 71-year-old white dude from Picto was appointed. Not a good luck. I don't even want to really get into that, but let's just say uh, – you know, that's. I think it's been known. That I think they they know mistakes are made, and I think they'll probably correct those. I just I, would I think. can't even. I don't even know where to start with that. That's such a bad look. I don't care if he has a PhD in wokeness from you know <laughs> whatever university, man. That is not the person who should be overseeing African Nova Scotia <laughs> affairs. But um, circling back, getting getting yeah. back on topic a little bit. Um, we also have a federal election coming up, so we do. Yeah, and that was something that I kind of got a little carried away with digging into uh, because both, well, I, mean, I say both, like there's no other parties, but again, I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to get emails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Just looking at these two, both the liberals and conservatives made some serious claims. Like they have, they've both. With respect to housing. With respect yeah, to housing, yeah. they have both made major things. They both were like quick to say like, this is a major problem they're facing Canada wide. Mm-hmm. It used to be just like Ontario and BC, but it is now the entire country. Um, and so they both made crazy, crazy claims. I mean, I don't, do you want to go into like, we go through each kind of platform and, and dive into some of the, the more. Yeah. More, like, there's, yeah, there's like the basic stuff of like, yeah, we're going to build more houses. Okay, great. But like, there's some more nuanced things that probably be. Yeah, I mean, on. the skeptic in me feels like this is pandering. Obviously, this is something that's the top of mind for all Canadians. And we saw how, you know, last-ditch effort in the provincial election, um, the Liberals started say, oh, yeah, we will do rent control and we will do all these things for housing, you know, in like the 23rd hour. Um, and it felt a little bit disingenuous. Um, clearly, on a federal level, they're seeing the attention that housing is getting. And whether it's, you know, genuine or pandering – you know, again, I, I feel a bit cynical saying that, but they are both talking about it, which is great. Um, the liberals have a nice organized three-prong kind of – it's really digestible if you go online. Yep. Um, they sort of say unlock home ownership, uh, build more homes, which, yep. you know, is pretty straightforward. And then something called the Homeowners Bill of Rights. Uh, but maybe let's start with the unlocking home ownership because it's yep. pretty simple. Uh, they've got 
some plans towards a rent-to-own program. Uh, as someone who's been in, around and involved in rent-to-own situations before, they've often gone terribly. So I don't put any real stock well. in that. Yeah. It works out super well for the seller who ends up keeping the home in the end uh, yeah. and a lot of the would-be buyer's money. Yeah. Um, home buyer's tax credit is going to double from 5000 to 10000 Yeah. Um, one of the things about that is it's a delayed benefit. Like you yeah. buy the house, you get it back in the next reporting period. But it's still kind of cool, right? It's better than nothing, really, that that one's not bad. Totally. And I, and I think first-time home buyers are the most kind of uh, disadvantaged. So I think that's cool. Uh, I would say the thing I think in the Unlock Home Ownership one, the number one thing that I think is going to benefit a large majority of the buyers is the reduction in CMHG fees. Totally. Like, totally. I don't know what the ratio is or how many homes get bought with CMHG, but it's a oh. fairly large ratio. First-time home buyers, almost all of them. Like, yeah, you talk first-time first home buyers, let's, let's call it 95%, yeah. you know, uh, because... And even yeah. after, moving forward, like, it's still a high, high percentage. Yeah, they say... So what they're doing, if people aren't familiar, when you buy what's considered a high-risk uh, loan, if you get a high-risk loan, which is that you borrow more than 80% of the purchase price, which, as Neil mentions, almost everyone, most people try to put down 5%, which means you're borrowing 95%. Yep. Um, so if you borrow more than 80%, you're considered a risky loan. Uh, and as a result, you have to insure that loan through CMHC. Um, and if you put 5% down, you're paying the highest insurance premium. If you put 10 or 15, you're paying kind of uh, prorated uh, less of a premium. Um, but it adds in some cases, like an extra $20,000, $30,000 to a purchase. I was going to say, at, at 5% five, five yeah. down, you're paying a 4% yeah. CMHC premium. So if you're buying a house for $500,000, you're paying a $20,000 insurance premium. And so if they're yep. now saying that they're going to reduce this by 25%, that's huge. That's five grand. Yeah, yeah. So, and if you look at, that's $20,000. It goes on your mortgage, which means you're paying it off at roughly 100 bucks a month. Well, probably right now, but 80 bucks a month yep. in perpetuity. Right, because yeah. it's compounding with interest and all these things, so it's not an insignificant amount when people are going to get their approvals and trying to get ahead paying down their equity. Um, they say that if you take it across the country, it's going to save um, buyers about six thousand dollars on a home purchase. What wasn't clear, and I don't know if you came across this, is if it's just for first-time home buyers or is that for everyone? They didn't. They don't think they okay. made that clarity. Because, yeah, yeah. like you know, it's it's interesting that it uh, wasn't you know, noted there because I, I can't wait to enjoy that benefit too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I got to buy everything at 20% down anyway, yeah. but like still like yeah. it, that's going to benefit people across the board, which may have not been their intent because that may not slow down the housing market at all. Multi-unit CMHG fees. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> they might I, I, I don't yeah, think I those are going down. Well, but you know, it could be relevant to people who are thinking of buying like a, uh, cause one of the benefits of buying a duplex owner occupied is you can only put 5%, like you can get in with 5% yep. down yep. Uh, or a triplex with 10% down. So those are going to be real savings to people out there who are thinking of doing that. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think they also, uh, oh yeah, they're, they're allowing a tax-free first home savings account, which means you can save up to, if you're under 40, you can save up to $40,000 in a tax-free savings account, and you can use that towards the purchase of your first home without having to repay it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. I don't know how many first-time buyers are able to save up to $40,000 anyway, but in some bigger markets, that is what you have to do. So um, It kind of makes sense. They already had the RRSP program in place. So yeah. it kind of just mirrors that where they're both kind of, I want to say similar saving styles, but they kind of are. Like they're both main the main tools people utilize for saving in today's yeah. today's market. Yeah. And then uh, the building more homes is pretty straightforward. It's something you and I both- you Before know, you go on. to that, yep. I want to touch one thing on on the their last thing of unlock home ownership, which was 
Uh, some people might be familiar with the fact that they were going to do the program. It didn't get used here as much, I don't think, but it was 5%. You put 5% down. They put 5% down. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. And then you avoid some CMHC fees. And then yeah, you avoid yeah. some CMHC fees. It reduces your payments, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The thing that everybody didn't like when they introduced that, I think it was last year or two years ago, was you don't have to repay it till you sell your home. But when you sell your house, if you made money, if your home appreciated, mm-hmm. they took their proportional amount of the appreciation. Yeah. So if your house went up a hundred grand, they took five percent. So they would yeah, take five grand point, yeah. plus their original five percent that they yep. put in. Uh, on the flip side, if your house went down in value, they reduced what they what you had to pay mm-hmm. back. Um, but obviously, in last years, everybody's houses have gone up yeah. nationwide, effectively. Um, so they actually are saying about well, removing that. So they'll take away the remov- removing the equity take back. So they'll say you pay your 5% back. You don't have to pay the additional that you've made. Question for you. Did you know anyone that used that program? I don't know. As I'm saying, I don't know if it was used in Nova Scotia. I don't know if it's more of an Ontario-based system because it, it seemed like it made more and... sense for more expensive homes, to be honest with you, when yeah, I read totally. the program. Yeah. It had all these weird, like, you know, your your household income had to be so low and, like, the house had to be a certain price. Like, I felt it didn't jive. And I don't know. I don't know a single person who... No, I, I never, I never um, saw anyone use it either. Yeah. So in terms of building more homes, they talked about building 100,000 more middle-class homes, whatever the heck that means. Um, and uh, $3 billion, I think it was like 2.7 for affordability. And the things they talked about for that were kind of interesting. Converting office space. Yeah, that was neat. I like, like that I a lot. I thought that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, multi-generational living. Like, so maybe giving some subsidies, rebates for people who convert a home into multi-generational living, uh, which sounds awesome until you realize uh, that you have to go through municipal permitting for that and it's going to be a total nightmare. Um, <laughs> and then some kind of nondescript, but uh, funding for indigenous housing, which I think also also sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, again, the, the cynic in me says this sounds like throwing $3 billion of money at something rather than actually um, building stock directly. Um, but hopefully this... You know, because it, I think there's a lot of cynical people out there that says, who's going to get this three billion bucks, right? Well, you know, who's going to get to build these middle class homes and all that. So uh, I would prefer that this was money that went right to provincial governments to build properties and manage properties. But immediately, um, you know, three billion dollars is not a small drop in the bucket. The, uh, the I'm not sure if you touched on that one, the housing accelerator fund. Did you see that? Um, I don't think so. This was actually the one that I thought was the most unique of their build more homes. And it might fall under the 2.7 billion, but I think it was actually even more. I think it was like 4 billion. I don't know if you can, Tanner, pull that up. The, uh, oh, this is what I was talking about. I, I may have just happened the number wrong. Yeah. hundred thousand middle, new middle-class homes, uh, help speed up time to build more homes by e-permitting technology. Yes. So this, they don't explain it here. I don't know where I read that they explain it, but so what their objective with this is, is let's say HRM builds on average 10,000 houses a year. If HRM proves that in the following year they build and they're, and they're projected to build 10,500 the next year. Okay, mm-hmm. so based on historical data, they're, they're going to go up by 500 a year. If they then go from 10,000 to 12,000, so they went from instead of building 500 extra, they built 2,000 extra, mm-hmm. the federal government will kick them in 50 million bucks. Kick in the municipality. Their whole platform was that. If you can prove that you're increasing the rate at which you're building homes faster than it would have on its own, we'll, we'll subsidize you with that. And so what okay. they're going to do is they're going to subsidize their permitting offices and provide them incentives for building. So it, that I actually liked a lot. The idea of, okay, well, here's a big pool of money. Whoever can prove that they're building houses the fastest and making the most effort to expedite home construction and apartment construction you get, you get these handouts. I like that because so much of this starts at the municipal level. Like, this is why people don't get engaged enough in their municipal politics. 
Like the thing I'm most interested in is municipal politics because I honestly feel that's where the rubber hits the road. And like, um, even though transportation's provincial, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, I, I, you know, that that's so interesting to me because that puts a lot of, you know, heavy lifting on the on the permitting office and planning down at, you know, the HRM offices um, because all the builders and developers are going to say, well, then approve the development. Approve it. it. And it. the city's going to want to approve it because it's going to balance your budget because they're going to get a kickback for twenty million bucks from the friggin' federal government. That one I liked a lot. Right I was there. like, oh shit, cool. that's okay. that's a cool one. I like that. Neat. And it, right. it, the whole concept of it was based on exp- like pro- like showing that you're actually expediting it. Also, think of how easy that's going to be hit in some of the smaller municipalities. It's oh, like, yeah. well, we've built like none for the last fifty years. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, if I'm one of these, like for example, the minister there in Kenville, yeah. like Kenville's going through a little boom now. Yeah, you got a couple right? hundred coming up. Um, you know. What's going to have like Lance? Yeah. Like, you know, if they fast track some of those things that are already kind of on the books, yeah. but those technically those lots are not approved. Yeah. Um, they're they're going to go from like, well, we built 20 last year to like, there's a thousand approved. <laughs> like, um, okay, cool. That That's kind of interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Um, the last one. Yes. Was Protect so your un- rights. Unlock home ownership was one. Build more homes. Number two. Bill of Rights was number three. So like we're going to American politics now. People love a good Bill of Rights, man. <laughs> so um, this is something that uh, I have my bill I, right here. I can tell this is heavily marketed. You know, this is everything's all warm and fuzzy when politics are like trying to get elected, right? Like a home for everyone, the Bill of Rights, so like all this. Um, tell me about it. Okay, you got so the sheet y- there. You're right. You're right. This is very targeted, like directly to what. I would say is transpiring on the internet right now. Oh, totally. This is like, here, post this on your social media right like, now. If you went through a housing meme page <laughs> and you went through the top okay. memes, these would address a lot of them. Cool. Number one, banning blind bidding. This is the one that has all the real estate industry being like, how the heck are you going to do that? Yeah. And how does that impose on the seller's rights? Right? Um, this is the thing, like, there's some cases where both people can't have a right in a situation because if a seller has the right to sell their property in any way they see fit within the rules of law, yeah. Um, you know, and if the, the, the argument was always when an offer comes in, um, that is owned by the seller. So they do not have to disclose that offer to anyone. Yeah. They own that offer on their property. Yeah. Um, they're saying somehow they're going to do away with that. And real estate is is regulated at the provincial level. Um, so they were asked, how are you going to enforce that? And they said, the criminal code. And so, like, it, the implication of that is, like, blind bidding wards will be criminal. They've thrown it out there a bit loosely because yeah. I think everyone that's tried to buy a house in the last two years is just a little frustrated that they had to bid blindly. Totally. And so this pulls the heartstrings of every buyer oh. in the last... Three years. Yeah, it sounds and listen, and this is interesting because this is nothing we touched on. Where I have a real problem with the fact that the only um, price that gets published is the highest price. On a side note, the impact this would have on real estate agents too. Oi, so to, we might as well just have an auction, man. I'm literally just going to be like, well, right, it's the the auction is at two o'clock. I'm just going to stand there on the front lawn, and you guys can hurl numbers because if I have 17 offers and I have to go, oh. Neil's people went up by 500 bucks. <laughs> I got to call 16 people. And of course, the 13th one's going to be like, I'll go up by 750. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Start this list up call. again. <laughs> so this is one of those ideas that sounds great that probably um, isn't going to come to fruition. It's just not. Um, I think what is going to come to fruition is a bit more uh, end reporting. Like somehow after the fact, can this information be like, 
this is like new, you know, offers have to be registered and recorded so yep. that after the fact you can see, well, this is what the home was actually, the average price was, yeah. right? Um, something to, the, to that end, but I, I, don't see how, I don't see how you can enforce that. And we've got so much stuff to do and so many logistics. And can you imagine? I think it would kill know, our industry. That's my only thing. I'm like, this would kill as a real estate agents. I think it would destroy the industry. Well, the industry is already tending towards transactional online. It's like, well, if yes. that's the point, let's set up a portal where people can just mail in and they can all just go like eBay. This would affirm that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be eBay shopping for housing online, which will be kind of hilarious and amazing. This will also, on a side note, this is like, I know in the last year things were crazy, so it benefited the sellers. But there is, like, on the flip side, there'll be some that will actually, well, it'll go better for the... Oh, totally, man. There's always going to be, like, unique circumstances. Like, yeah. I've had situations where people go, well, if I knew it was only going to go for that, I would have bought it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's what I told you to offer, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, that that's an interesting one. I don't think it's going to come to fruition yet. But no. I've been saying for five, ten years that our industry is going to look vastly different in 20 years, which is now 10 years from now. Yep. It, it's going to be incredibly different and, and, and something... A transactional online bidding system is is where it is headed. Yep. I just don't think it's there yet. Um, I know they're also talking about full price history disclosure, which is something in Nova Scotia we kind of already have. Yeah, we're um, used to it here. Yeah, Viewpoint's been doing that where you can see the historical pricing of a home. People take that for granted in Nova Scotia and are blown away when uh, – other people are blown away when they come here and see it. They're like, oh, I can see – like these people bought it for this like yeah. two years ago. That used to be – um, information that only realtors had access to. Yeah. Uh, unless you dig some, did some digging through, you know, like it is public information. I say it's, it's public info up. still, yeah. but it's a pain. Um, so full price history disclosure, which I think was coming regardless, because uh, I think in the states like Zillow and all those places or whatever those websites are, they all have that too. So that's yeah. coming down the pipeline. What else? The other one, it's a little weird. Again, not 100 percent sure they're going to enforce it, but it's a legal right to a home inspection. Yeah. Like, um, if you and I draft up a contract to buy a house from each other, like, what impact, like... Yeah, and you know what? That's one that's, like, like, it's like, what are you trying to curb in this situation? Like, if you're trying to curb housing prices yeah. and speculative spending and overpaying, um, what's the relevance of that one? All that is is trying to pander to people who are angry. It's like, and I can't believe I can't even get a home inspection. I lost because those people didn't do a home inspection. It's like... Yeah, those people are angry. Like, the, mm-hmm. just patting people on the head when they're angry isn't really where the focus needs to be. In fact, oftentimes the person who waves the home inspection gets the home for less. Yeah. Right? Like, so yeah. that one I think is literally just to appease people who are angry. And I understand, like, everyone wants a home inspection. I think it'd be great if everyone got a home inspection, but I don't think that one makes a lot of sense in terms of accomplishing the goal. But it's no. in the Bill of Rights. It- <laughs> on our bill yeah what else the other two um impact banks i guess so the two things were ensuring that banks and lenders offer mortgage deferrals for up to six months in the event of a job loss or other major life event and i I think they can pull this one off for the simple fact that they just did this with covid 100 man where everyone was able to defer yeah i forget how many was it three months I think it was six months. Might have been, yes. I think it was six months. It was six months, yeah. yeah. So they were able to do that pretty easily that they can enforce that, kind of why mm, totally. the Canadian banking system is so regulated and has some merits. Um, here's, here's the thing I'm interested about that. Are, are you, you, you staying on that point? I don't want to move yeah, on from that no, one too quickly. No, yeah. The thing with that is, so you then, you still owe them that, that six months of interest. Yeah. And the question is, how are they going to get it back? Are they going to extend your term that might have been five years or 60 months? Terms, yeah, mm-hmm. a sixty-month term. Are they going to extend it to sixty-six months at yeah. the same rate, or do they take your remaining term? 
like say you were three years into a five-year term, uh, two years, and then take that, you know, six months of interest and prorate it over, you know, so mm-hmm. you may actually have a higher mortgage payment coming out of that or an elongated period before you can say break that that mortgage. I still think it's a good, I, I like that one, man. That, that seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, it's going to get tricky because with all these things, it's like, all right, well, how are we going to enforce that? Yeah. Right. How is that going to be? Because not everyone gets a loan through Scotia and CIBC and BMO. And like, there's you a know, lot of other banks. There's a lot of other smaller banks. Yeah. Um, so as soon as they have to staff and do these things, I mean, interest rates are going up anyway, but those interest rates are going up. Yeah. Um, like, because it's just going to be hard to um, staff some of those things and enforce it and be like, okay, well, prove that you got fired, um, not, you know. I think that'll yeah. be the hardest part is the proof of like job loss and major life event. Like, some of these, I think, could become a little gray. And so I think some people might try and abuse it, which will cause issue for the people that are actually in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think I agree with you. I, I like this one. And I think it's I think it's the one that they can they could put together and totally. actually make work. Yep. Um, this next one, I this one's a little weird. So requiring mortgage lenders, banks, to act in your best interest so that you are fully informed of the full range of choices at your disposal, yeah. including the first-time homebuyer incentive. I think this is another one of these ones where a lot of people are pissed. And I know some of my clients like, I've never even heard of this program. And I'm like, they didn't tell you the bank? And like, no, they said I should just go with this. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's because, and that's why I remind a lot of my clients. I say this to them. I'm like, don't forget, the bank is like a retail store and their mm-hmm. product is money. Yeah. You're in the banks. Most people have this like weird like comfort of like the bank's my friend. They they help me. Yeah, yeah. They're like the government. And like, it. they have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they have this like cushy relationship. And I'm like, no, no, no. The bank's Walmart of money. Like you're, they're in there to make money from I think you. Walmart's the Walmart of money. Yeah, yeah, I guess Walmart. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, but again, this one, I'm like, how, how? Well, all that's going to be is there's going to be a form because you know how you go to the bank, you're filling out 500 forms. You're going to fill yeah. out this one form like, and here's the acknowledgement waiver that says we discussed all your options and that we talked about the home. I think, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like that, that's I just want to get nothing. this done with. That's going to be over. nothing. It sounds good. Like they do it on car loans already. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and no one, no one stops buying those. You know, those are terrible loans in a lot of cases. Yeah. Right. Um, but there are some mortgages where people got in where like they didn't realize their break penalty and and all of these things. Yeah. Uh, and then they, you know, two years in have to sell their home and there's a twenty thousand dollar, you know, uh, penalty or things like that. But that's just going to be a piece of paper that someone signs without reading and and that you know won't, won't do much. But the final and I'm going to go ahead and say the biggest. I got a few more in there. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, my final on this list, maybe I didn't print the whole list. I got the King James version of the uh, Bill of Rights. Yeah, seriously. You got it direct from the source. This one, I would say, impacts what we talk about in our industry. Um, They just threw this on here, too. Like At least the way they have it on their website. They have their points, and then underneath, they just have like a disclaimer, and they just go... Yeah, we're also going to stop rent evictions. Like they just they literally would say that we also oh, we will no, also stop rent evictions by deterring by deterring. You're not not I don't know. Like again, this is like the wishiest washiest yeah, thing. Yeah. It's not an actual point. It's underlined by deterring unfair rent increases that fall outside of normal change in rent. Hmm. And we will require landlords to disclose on their tax filing the rent they receive pre and post renovation oh, and Im- okay. implement a yeah. proportional surtax. I did see this and they, they attached um, an appendix where they just put your letter that you gave that guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's what they did, did for the event. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't get that last. Pre- I thought that was one of our letters. I didn't think that was part of this. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was just tripping the old. Oh, God. Okay. Um, it's, uh, that's crazy. I did not see that. And that super touch, touches on um, – it's interesting because everything else here is about um, 
home ownership. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to see that be something that specifically addresses rental, which has always, again, been handled provincially. Nova Scotia Tenancy Board, like, you know, yeah. um, this is going to be their challenges. How does that um, filter down to provincial and, and, and jurisdiction and all that sort of thing? Um, there's a couple others there that I saw, at least on the same piece of information I found, found really interesting. The anti-flipping tax. We talked about that a little bit, I oh, think. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so it, they're going to essentially say that you have to be in the home for 12 months. Yeah. So people just, you know, speculative buying, renovating a property and selling it. Yeah. Um, which might be some of our listeners out there. Um, they're talking about imposing a tax on people that do that. So this whole idea of like, oh, nice, I can turn this property over in six months, not without paying a tax to the liberals. You will not be able to do that according <laughs> to this plan. I think that one is terrible because a lot of young people have managed to accomplish real estate home ownership through flipping. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I don't think, and, and you know who usually buys the flipped homes? Yeah. Other young people. Yeah. Because they're often in a price point of, okay, we're taking a really low end starter home yeah. and we're turning it into a nice starter home. Still cheaper than new. Yeah. So like, I think that's a terrible one. I, I don't get the logic. The only thing I could think that they're trying to get at is like assignment. And assignment's really interesting. Were you there in the office the other day? For the Toronto condos? Yeah. The no, pre-cons? No. So I wanted to. Yeah, very interesting. Like this has been a market for a long time in Toronto um, and other other major markets. Uh, it's called pre-con purchasing. Yeah. So like before the, the project is even remotely started, you can buy a, a unit, yep. which essentially makes you an investor more than a buyer. You are saying, here is, you know, my deposit on a share of this commitment thing. Commitment to know, buy this A thing. commitment to buy. And it helps the, the developer because then they can go and they can get their financing to actually build the project. Because yep. they're like, oh, we've got 75% of the units already sold. Uh, and then they go to the bank, the bank gives them the money and they can start construction. They build the place, takes five years. Uh, and then you can sell, you can assign your purchase to someone else. Uh, and if everything goes well and the market goes up, you know, for a small investment, like you might've put 20% down, you might've put a hundred grand down. Mm -hmm. Um, but now the unit has gone up by $200,000. You make $200,000 on your 100 grand initial investment. Uh, and that's called, they call it pre-con, but it, it's, it's assigning purchase contracts. Yep. Um, I'm surprised they're not, they didn't come after that. And I asked the people, so this group came into our office, uh, another um, branch out of Toronto with this thing that we could sell to our clients potentially here, this speculative pre-con purchasing. And I asked them, I'm like, if you think like they're coming after all this stuff and they're not coming after that, they don't have it here in their bill of rights. Um, so, but that's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. I will say they did touch on it. Okay. Uh, now okay. it's not, again, it's not formalized in the bill of rights yet. <laughs> bill of rights is still a <laughs> Bill of Rights is still a draft, but I did see, as I was reading to the platform, I forget where specifically, but they made mention, I saw the word assignment in there, Okay, cracking down on assignment. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be a big one in Toronto. Big one. That is a very big one in Toronto. Yeah. The The one thing that, the only thing that made sense from the cracking down and flipping, the only portion that sort of made sense was I know we all deal with this gray area of when can you resell your house. I have a bunch of my oh, yeah. clients ask yeah, yeah. that aren't even necessarily flipping the house, yeah. but they're like... Do I have to stay here now for 13 months or 12 months, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. it is? And I'm like, formally, no. Like, honestly, no, like no. I had some that have bought it and then they got a job. Like, literally, I had a guy who yeah, bought yeah, a house totally. and like 30 days later, got a job in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, can I sell this? And I was like, yes, yeah. it's sort of a gray area. And yeah, you're going to sell for a lot more than you paid because the market was the way it was. Mm -hmm. um, 
but no, like it technically you, you, you like like so that that's the only thing I'm like it would be nice to have a little bit of clarity on that. Yeah, no, that, that, but that, I think that's the, a good the, point. like you said to a target flipping, I think doesn't make any sense because that's just another economic driver. And like you said, that many young people get up, and I don't think that's causing the housing crisis. No, like no. Uh, I, well, I'd like to see what percentage of our houses are even flips. Like it's like. Fraction, fraction, fraction. Like 1%. I, I think they're probably having some issue in some bigger markets where people are literally just buying a place, leaving it empty and flipping it, yeah. like literally doing nothing yeah. um, and, and just hoarding inventory that otherwise yeah, yeah. Would, would be out there trading hands to someone who's going to be in there longer term. Um, but again, I, I think this is the problem when you kind of, you know, you're, you're trying to target something very specific and you do something heavy handed. Yeah. The implications. But you're right. There's a lot of challenges around flipping um, capital gains and capital gains is always sort of like the honor system. It's really strange. Um, but then also if you substantially flip a place, yeah, you should be charging HST, right? Yeah. Like there, there's all that question too. It's like, someone's like, I took it to the studs. I basically rebuilt it. It's like, well, then it's a new home and there's HST on there. Like <laughs> you should be HST registered. And, um, but that's yeah. a, another digression. Um, they said they're going to review the taxes on REITs. So real estate, Investment trust, that's what a REIT is, R-E-I-T. They're going to review the taxes on REITs. I don't know what they mean by that. Presumably those REITs would be some sort of, you know, dividend slash, because um, they often pay out in dividends slash corporate, you know, taxation yep. structure. So that's a pretty but broad stroke there. I don't know what that means, but they're going to review the taxation on REITs. That's another, yeah, that's another, I remember seeing that. I didn't really touch on because I was, I don't want to say it was just, I don't want to say stupid, but it's pander. It's, it's like... What, what, yeah, they're going to review. So first of all, what are they going to do? Second of all, the REITs realistically, like they benefit a lot of people. Same thing. Like a lot of people who want to invest in real estate, but can't afford yeah. to buy a house. Like a REIT is usually own like the executives probably only own like 10% of the thing. The mm-hmm. other 90% is like held within the rest of like the country. Yeah. People are like, well, what's that, what's that mean? Well, picture any shopping plaza in like the world. Those are typically owned by REITs. So like around here, you might have Crombie REITs, yep. um, you know, or Cap REIT or, or these ones. Kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Kill them uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but they tend to, a lot of them, Rio Can was one I was investing in for a while. They yep. tend to own like a lot of shopping plazas. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, usually have a dividend reinvestment structure. So people find them a nice um, conservative way to invest in real estate. If they can't actually invest in, you know, their own bricks and mortar, you can kind of go their, their REIT uh, approach. Way so, and again, I don't know what that means. It just sounds good. Like, oh, we're going to get tax big real estate companies. Um, yeah. Then there was, and this, I don't know if this was in the Bill of Rights. It, it seemed like it was, and it, it sounded a little sketchy. Um, a ban on new foreign ownership of homes for two years. Yeah. Uh, and a tax Ingress. on uh, vacant properties that are owned either by non-Canadians or foreign uh, people um, or corporations. So talk to me about a two-year ban on foreign ownership of homes. This so, is something that, that started during COVID to kind of or, – or coming out of COVID and, and um, is going to carry for, I think, January – it's starting in January 20, 2021. I can't – I can't – 2022. 2022. And going for two years, yeah. Yeah. So the, BC and Ontario already have some stuff in place for foreign, foreign ownership. I think BC specifically has a vacancy tax. Okay. Um, they also have purchase taxes, like 15% or something like that. They like, also yeah, have yeah, a huge purchase tax. Yeah. This one is actually an interesting one. I want to bring it up because both conservatives and liberals subscribe to this. They're yeah. both 100% on board. Um, I did a little bit of digging just to see like what percentage of homes are actually foreign buyers. In Vancouver, which would be like what I'd say is the number one spot for foreign buyers, it's 4.8% of transactions. So one in 20. That That's not, not substantial. Like that's mm-hmm. That's a fair number of yeah. homes. Going to GTA, it goes down to 3.4%. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Okay, so it's starting to be a little bit less interesting. Once you leave the GTA, the next is Montreal at 0.9%. Right. So then the rest of the cities are going to be, we're talking like a half percent, like if not lower, like irrelevant, like completely irrelevant. This was always the issue with these things that were done federally that have like no impact on on us, except for negative. 90% of the the country, it has no impact. Um, And it's just negative for the few people that are trying to like, let's say, come to Halifax or whatever it may be. Yeah, but to be clear, like, this is what I couldn't understand. Like, they mean foreign, not Canadian, but, like, that's not going to impact, like, permanent residents or anything like that, I hope. I, I don't know. And that was what I was saying. I was saying that some of these people are not even going to have moved here and they're going to be screwed because they can't buy. Like, is yeah. that how that's going to work? Is it going to be like, okay, I'm now here and now I'm allowed yeah, to buy a house because. Yeah, yeah. This one, again, like, this one was one of these ones that I think, it's, again, it's, well, I guess that's what you do. I guess that's what politics are. You, you, you appease to people screaming. And I think people were quick to scream, like, oh, it's foreign buyers. Like, they're screwing everything up. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I think it might be the millennials that they're screwing. <laughs> well, also, like, my first I was like, that sounds like a teeny tiny bit racist. Like, <laughs> I understand what they're trying to get at there. But, right? Like, I think, you know, if if somebody came come up to you and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ban foreign buyers for two years. You'd be like, whoa, jeepers, yeah. buddy. That's, that's yeah. like, you know, you seem pretty ignorant. But yeah. I, I think... Their, their thought, and, and this is why those taxes have been in, in BC and, and Ontario for so long, is that those are almost always then rented, right? Yeah. Um, they're purchased and then rented. So it, it's kind of trying to curb this, you know, like speculative buying and, and tax havens. So, yeah. The one thing they said, both parties, is it's only on single family residentials. They said oh. they will encourage huh. uh, foreign investors to buy rental based properties. Yeah, there was a lot of media surrounding this, and, and someone actually asked me about, like, have you heard about uh, these big REITs, like these big real estate companies, and Mind you know, foreign up. groups just buying homes? Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'll be honest, I never saw one. Yeah. I never saw, you know, I'll sell like 115 homes this year. Yeah, what's up? Um, <laughs> n- not a single one was transacted by like a foreign corp. Like so, yeah. but that speaks to the fact that it, it hasn't been an issue here. But it'd be interesting to know that if some of these areas you see this numbered company come in purchasing, you know, a three bedroom, two bath home in the suburbs, uh, and what that could do. But um, that's interesting. That's going to be banned for two years because I think probably, you know, either the liberals or conservatives are going to win. Sorry, other parties. Yeah. Um, so that that ban looks like it's going to go through, and then um, the taxation on vacant properties is, I think, is really interesting too, because this has been an issue um, on development sites. Yeah. You know, and commercial office buildings and valuable, valuable real estate that sits empty for a long time. Yeah. That people are, are now saying, why isn't that housing? Why isn't that housing? Why isn't that housing? Yeah. This was something people were yelling about on Instagram and Twitter, talking about the municipality should take all these vacant buildings and make them housing right away. Yeah. And Way Mason responded, well, there's only two that we have and it would cost millions and millions of dollars to do it. Yeah. So, you know, people are quick to throw like what they think is a brilliant idea that no one ever mm-hmm. thought of before. Um, but when they're privately owned, that does start to put the pressure on, you know, yeah. it's privately owned by non-Canadian foreign investors that are literally just hoarding Canadian land that in theory yeah. could go towards development. Actual housing. Yeah. Not to quickly change over to conservative. No, we got to make some headway here. But we got to make yeah. some headway. Their platform, I don't think was as, is not as flushed out quite yet. Um, but, the couple, I'm going to hit on the big topics that they okay. came up with. The number one that I have to hit is allowing to roll forward capital gains. Yeah, you were kind of teasing me with this. What, what's this, this about? was something that's like what they do in the States. So in the States, they have a 1031. When you sell a property and you make the capital gains, like the increase in value, 
as long as you reinvest. Nothing creepy about that. Yeah, that's a nice picture we got there. (laughs) Thanks for bringing that up. But in the States, you do a 1031. You can sell your property until you make $100,000. As long as you reinvest that money into more housing or a similar investment, you don't have to pay the capital gains on that in that moment. Okay. Okay? Which here in Canada, you have, when you sell, you have to pay your capital gains on your rental properties. And a lot of times- If they're in your personal name. Well, with the corporation. Okay. And a lot of the times, they are quite heavy because people have deferred a bunch by amortizing down their rents. So it's usually a fairly large tax bill. This is, I feel like people are really losing part of the experience if they're not seeing this, like- T-shirt, Aaron O'Toole. Yeah, you guys buy hard. your T-shirts at the yeah, same. Yeah, we and I buy. <laughs> we, we go to the same baby gab to buy our T-shirts. Oh, <laughs> he looks like a White Walker up there. Yeah. Sorry. Continue on. No That's problem. Just great. Um, yeah. So I mean, then they have the other items of like encouraging growth around transit hubs. Um, I think Tim Houston actually touched on that as well. Um, they have they have the same similar very same foreign policy. Um, they also talk about converting fifteen percent of government owned real estate into residential, which sounds neat. I don't know what the percentages are now. I couldn't find that. But like if they're already at 12% and they're going up 15, you know what I mean? Is it, what exactly is that? I mean, but they they follow the same adage of converting office space. Because right now it seems like everyone's away from office, away from office. Mm -hmm. And so it's all this empty office. So they're going, let's convert that. I think that's already happening here in health access. But like our industrial office space or or I guess industrial space is chugging along man there's not nearly as much vacant industrial space as there used to be but yeah. there is this going on downtown with office space being like you know because big tenants are getting poached to the newest shiniest office space and these other ones are sitting empty but yeah interesting the i don't know so i, I guess overall their policies are they they have a, again they have a lot less uh they don't have necessarily a bill of rights um and their overall policy the way i see it it's more of like an incentive it's an incentive to to people who are in the real estate industry to try and grow their businesses, mm-hmm. which in my eyes makes sense. And it does, like, in the States, you look at somewhere where they have a lot of incentives to do that, rents are quite low. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of how people view these two parties. Like, if you want more government role in residential purchasing of houses, yeah, that is clearly the liberal plan, Yeah, is more government role. Yeah. Uh, the conservatives would probably, based on their MO, uh, be less government intervention in the housing market from a buying and selling standpoint. Yeah. But uh, sounds like they're trying to incentivize new stock, which is what everyone's saying. And, um, you know, the nuance will come down to who's got the better plan for really pushing that stock. Um, we'll, see. we'll see. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I'm going to dig a little further into the uh, the roll forward of taxes. Yeah. And uh, we'll touch on that at the start of the next one. Yeah, because you quickly learn as you grow in real estate that you become a corporation and then that's a different thing than – it's the least it's fun part yeah. to me. Like I don't like the corporate tax side of things and all that good stuff, but um, it becomes a huge part of what your business is. It's not just the fun of making projects, which is what I know you and I both like. So yeah, Right on. I mean I think we covered a lot of ground there. We did. I don't even know what to call this episode. This we is all have over a the million place. things. This was all over the place. I th- yeah. Yeah. Political – Stuff. I know. This isn't going to be a political show. It just happens that there's a lot of stuff. We talk like municipal, provincial, federal. Man, this is – this is you, you can't be – this is why everyone should be involved and, and conscious of real estate because if you don't mess with real estate, real estate will mess with you, <laughs> right? Like, like seriously. That, yeah. So yeah. – um, and, you know, as a result, real estate is political and politics are real estate. Like they're joined at the hip right now. Um, so – I, I mean, don't want to be on a, a politics show. 20% of our GDP is, is like 
real estate in our in our country. Yeah. Like a Crazy. big, 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 our biggest economy driver is effectively real estate. Totally, which is also why we got to be careful how we tweak the dials, man. Like, yeah. because we don't want to slow down real estate construction because then we're going to have the whole problem of like, well, what's a recession look like? It's not much better than, you know, Expensive a housing estate. crisis. Like it's going to have a different crisis. So, yeah. um, all right. A lot of good stuff here today. Good stuff. A lot more talk. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. I gotta stop banging the table. It's gonna be you, picked up on. I the was mic. thinking that I banged on my chair. Yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Cue the claps. Applause, Tanner. Thanks for listening. Yeah. All right.